Hello and welcome to Technically Speaking, a podcast where scientists and engineers come together to chat about a common interest, share knowledge and satisfy some curiosity. I'm Laura and in this episode I'm joined by Antonia and Ginwa to talk about how carbon dioxide is used or produced in various industries. And that just happens to follow on nicely from our zero waste episodes that came just before these two. So if you've not checked them out, once you finish listening to this, go and have a look back through our catalogue. Let's start off with, for this episode, Antonia, what do you know about CO2 and how it's used in industry? CO2 stands for carbon dioxide. And um, interestingly, it's been in the headlines because of the recent gas prices being so high that we've actually got a carbon dioxide shortage in the UK. And it's funny to think that because we're constantly talking about greenhouse gases, we have too many. So the fact that we're, we're trying to cut it, but it's also actually a necessary part of various industries like food shows that CO2 isn't just a, a bad thing. Yeah, that's very true. There are positives and negatives to it. It's a very good point. Uh, Ginwa, do you agree with that? Yeah, I think I relate to CO2 personally because it is controversial. And I'm quite attracted to controversial uh, subjects, actually. (laughs) It is in excess, as Antonia said, in the atmosphere, and it is changing our climate. And in that term, we are deploying a huge efforts and large funds to reduce it. But at the same time, CO2 is also in shortage to the point where it can threaten the national food security in a country like the UK. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So I think the question now is, how can we have an excess and a shortage of the same material at the same time? I think, uh, Laura, you can elaborate on that more because you've worked on kind of uh, carbon capture and storage during your PhD. I did, yes. So I, I finished my PhD about eight years ago and it was about simulations of carbon capture at a molecular level. So I was essentially looking at how the energy industry could use technology to capture carbon dioxide from its emissions. Uh, and from what I remember, I mean, it's eight years ago, so my memory isn't great, uh, but it can be done, <laughs> but it's not necessarily straightforward. And it would require a lot of energy to be put into that process to capture the CO2 and then recover the material that they've used to do the capture with. Back when I was doing this research, which is before 2013, it was said that the amount of energy you'd need to put into this process would effectively lead to more CO2 production because it would require more energy than the industrial process would normally use. Hmm. Yeah, which is unfortunate. I'm not sure that situation has changed too much in the intervening years. I might be wrong because I haven't kept up to date with it. But back then, the idea was to just store and then dispose of the CO2 from the energy industry rather than making use of it. When you when you say that the process requires more energy, what kind of energy are you talking about? Yeah, the materials I were looking at, it seemed like it was quite a passive way of capturing it, but then to regenerate that material so you can reuse it again, you'd have to apply heat. Mm. Okay. And heat may come from any source of heat. So if so I guess if you were going to use some sort of electrical heating, the electricity production didn't generate any CO2, then it would be more sustainable. Okay. At the time, obviously, this is before 2013, we were still quite reliant on coal for our energy supply. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That would have pushed up the carbon dioxide emissions. Yeah. Yeah. What sort of temperature were you having to regenerate the material? Because I think I think the challenge, particularly in the UK, for decarbonising heat is just simply the temperatures required is greater than what electricity provides at a cost-effective or carbon-equivalent way to our ma- mainly methane uh, usage. Yeah, yeah, you're stretching my memory here. 
let's say let's say for argument's sake it was about 100 degrees celsius mm. I, I would guess you've got quite a lot of material so quite a large heat input this isn't just like you know turning on a kettle say yeah you've got these huge chimney stacks or whatever it was to deal with and there was there were more complications than that because obviously you don't just have co2 coming out of a flue gas from a power station You've got other what are called small penetrant molecules like nitrogen and various other things that would compete in that material to be captured by it, as well as the CO2. Yeah. So it's not just as straightforward as saying you can stick something in the flue of a chimney and capture the CO2. There are more things to consider. So energy was one side of it. And then what else it's trying to capture and then what to do with it afterwards was another thing. Thank you, Laura, for clarifying that. <laughs> It's all right, I feel like I'm put on the spot now because it's so long since I've looked at this. So we started talking about this because there was a CO2 shortage in the news recently. And it comes from methane. Antonia, I think you were looking into this, weren't you? Yeah, it comes from using methane yes. to make fertiliser. So the business secretary convinced fertiliser plants to start up again for the production of CO2, which, which seems odd. We're kind of short on food. But it's not because of the fertilizer, but it's because we need CO2. The CO2 is a byproduct of fertilizer production. Uh, if I go into what I understand as the chemistry, and um, hopefully someone else might jump in, <laughs> is um, a, a process called methane reforming. A lot of chemical reactions happen in the steps to get to fertilizer, but the first initial step is turning methane into carbon monoxide and hydrogen carbon monoxide is converted into carbon dioxide through further reaction with steam cleaning that up or in the industrial term scrub you can get quite high purity of co2 liquefy it and then use it in other industries because it's the byproduct you don't necessarily run a plant to make co2 your main product is the fertilizer so the fact that we have a supply chain shortage is because of the gas prices being so high. People don't want to purchase the high gas prices to make fertilizer. And then that makes CO2 get a high price. Ironically, because of gas and energy prices going up. It's a very weird interconnected supply chain world, isn't it? It is. It is indeed. I guess that's like a lot of the supply chains. You're saying gas, that's like natural gas that I would burn on my hob when I'm cooking, right? Sorry, yes. Natural gas is mainly methane. And I jumped a few steps again. <laughs> See, when I was reading about this in the news, I just automatically went, oh, gas. So they're burning it to heat something up because that's what I use gas for. But you're right, it, it does have methane in it. And I hadn't even considered that they were using the methane for something else to make a chemical reaction take place. So I feel a bit silly now. I think it depends on your background. When, when you get into chemical engineering, there's all, all this talk about steam methane reforming, hydrocracking, syngas. And then later on in, this, in the fertilised production, there's the famous Harbour-Bosch process. Ask any any chemical engineer or chemist, they could tell you about Harvard Bosch. Not me. Oh, I forgot it, I think. <laughs> I mean, I forgot it until last week. <laughs> this reaction, actually, the CO plus, uh, plus steam giving uh, hydrogen and CO2, it reminds me of using the CO2 also as a feedstock for making uh, methanol, which is another energy source. Huh. 
Yeah, and there's actually now two large pilot plants for production of methanol from CO2 in Japan, uh, which is a more direct way of producing methanol rather than adding steam to it to produce hydrogen and CO2 and then use these two to produce methanol. So the direct way is just to produce, let's say, captured um, CO2 and hydrogen and make methanol in, in a more sustainable way. The key in this process is to use high pressure and sometimes using catalyst because uh, CO2 is really hard to, to make it react. So is the idea that they'll use CO2 that will eventually be acquired from carbon capture technologies? Yeah, it is indeed. Ah, uh, okay. Because I also associate methanol with burning things to heat stuff up. This makes me sound like a pyromaniac. I'm not. <laughs> But to me, it seems counterproductive. To, so if you're saying that the CO2 is a byproduct of converting methane, which comes from natural gas, which I burn, that just sounds like a really complicated way to make something that you can burn when you've already got something that you can burn. <laughs> I suppose the beauty is, is you remove the CO2, but then if you burned a methanol, would methanol just produce CO2 again? Yes. Or do they use methanol for something else? The methanol, you can use it for various stuff. It can be a solvent. It can be used for further chemical reactions. Yeah, I think it's just me that associates methanol with burning things. (laughs) (laughs) Is methanol a liquid at room temperature? Because maybe it's preferable to having methane, which, you know, which is a gas at room temperature, and then you'd have to pipe it around. So it is a liquid in room temperature. Well, in, in like sort of heating and transport, it's definitely easier to handle liquids than it is gas. So I suppose methanol might be preferable even. Yeah, but then I guess if you're thinking about burning it to release the energy, I guess neither one of those things is preferable if we're trying to reduce carbon footprints of various technologies because they both would produce CO2 when they're burned, right? Mm. Yeah. But then you could capture it again. <laughs> and just, just close that cycle, just go like, full circle. Yeah. yeah, it's a loop. Yeah, I did say this followed on very well from our episodes about zero waste. <laughs> So what they were talking about in the news was if there's a shortage of CO2, one of the industries that uses it is for food storage. Yeah, preservation. Yeah. You, you don't really think about how all these um, the gases are used in these different industries. The work that I did in the chemistry lab, I'm not a chemist, I haven't done a lot of it, but I, the, the gases that we tended to use if you wanted something in an atmosphere, right, in nitrogen or argon. So whenever you get like, a package of food that is being packaged in a protective atmosphere, you know, like those bags of salad that you get in the supermarket, they're always quite inflated, like little pillows. I've always just assumed that that's just nitrogen because that's what I'm familiar with. But apparently it, it, there's CO2 in there as well. Yeah, you're right, because nitrogen is inert and CO2 is inert. So if it's about that, we may use both. Which one is cheaper? didn't get a very good answer as to why co2 would be used um although i did find some companies that said that they could use nitrogen as well okay also that it's not a pure co2 or a pure nitrogen atmosphere they mix the gases sometimes depending on exactly what's being packaged that tells quite well about plants but whether they want to feed the plants actually some co2 while packaging them Oh, yeah. So, yeah, before we started recording this episode, Antonia and I were wondering if you have a, that bag of salad that's just salad leaves, right? It's not got any roots, it's not any soil. Is it still using that CO2? Because that's how plants photosynthesize. Basically, is it dead or alive? Is it still doing its thing? Is it dead when it's packaged in that protective atmosphere? I don't know. Do you want to eat a dead plant? <laughs> I think it's better if it's still a bit alive, right? 
something that you shared was um how people preserve meat and oxygen to keep to keep its color so same thing with plants right you'd want them to still kind of look fresh fresh as a daisy i'm just reading about it at the moment and they say it's dead once you just take it out of the soil but it's not if you put it back in the soil it goes it it can come alive again but i always think that plants they do alchemy essentially they, they take soil and they turn it into food and i don't have to do anything i just have to keep putting water on it i mean or plants a little bit they can do things that people can't like scientifically we know how plants do it but for us it's still magic right we know we know how it works <laughs> it's a marvel of the natural world i would say but yeah, we did have a bit of a conversation before we started recording about why you might use CO2 over other gases. My thinking, it goes to, again, chemical reactions for purifying these gases could take a lot more energy. So you also want them to be liquefied. And from the top of my head, I think CO2 would be liquefied at a higher temperature, less cold temperature. The nitrogen. CO2 sublimes, doesn't it? So it goes straight from a solid into a gas. Yeah. You can get a triple point for CO2, which is where it can be in all three states. I want to say at the same time, that's probably not quite the right phrase. I think that is the um, the term, isn't it? Maybe. I just find it a bit a bit weird that a, a thing can be in three different states, solid, liquid and gas, all at the same time. It's very Schrodinger's cat-like. As a chemist, I'm not very much surprised. But I, I can I cannot imagine it, as you said. I don't know how to imagine it. I can imagine the liquid equilibrium diagram. I can't imagine physically what it exactly. would look like. Yeah, yeah me too. Yeah, me too. <laughs> I feel like this is the episode we talk about science that we understand but don't quite comprehend. We know what that graph looks like. But we don't <laughs> exactly. know what it physically looks like. <laughs> I think purity is probably quite important because I got the impression that the reason that the methane is used and then the CO2 is the byproduct, you get mostly CO2 off that, so it's fairly pure. And you need a particular purity of CO2 um, for particular things like storing food. Yeah. Yeah, it's got to be a CO2 for food grade, isn't it? Antonio, you mentioned that oxygen is used to package meat. And apparently that's because the CO2 can make the meat go rancid because it gets absorbed into the meat and acidifies it slightly, I think. Mm. My summary of when I was reading through this is although the news has reported a lot that CO2 is used in food packaging, it's not only CO2, it's more complicated than that. That seems to be a common theme with our um, choice of podcast topics. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, and the more you start reading into this to prepare for each episode, the more you go down this rabbit hole of, oh, this, this, this aspect of this subject is really interesting. Like, we've just spent about 10 minutes talking about food packaging and uh, haven't really touched on our, our main focus of this episode about how we can, can or can't um, suck CO2 out of the atmosphere and redress that, this idea that there's too much in the atmosphere and not enough where we need the CO2. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So how do we capture it at the moment? Maybe we could discuss that a bit. The work that I was doing in my PhD, and this isn't a technology that is currently in use as far as I'm aware, but it was a polymer that looks a little bit like, um, well, a little bit like the packaging that's used to package that salad, those plastic (laughs) bags. Um, But it's kind of yellowy and a little bit crinkly. And that's a, a membrane. It's made of this polymer that's intrinsically porous. 
So it had these, these very tiny pores that were roughly the same size as a CO2 molecule that the gases could pass through. But it also had imide group that the CO2 would preferentially absorb onto the surface of. So they'd be trapped in these little cavities that quite liked to have the CO2 sitting there. But then, as I was saying, the, the intent was that this would put on a gas or a coal-fired power station and there are other molecules in the gas that would also like to sit in those little tiny favourable sites. So again, it's more complicated than just sucking CO2 out of the atmosphere. Um, I think there are some other technologies, though. Actually, uh, there's a lot of ways of decontaminating or capturing anything that needs filtration or decontamination using a membrane or using any kind of adsorbent, which can be a polymer or a clay or a membrane. There's always this problem of selectivity. So we don't have still the technology that has this kind of high selectivity we're still at industrial level we are still using just we are just using the uh, non-selective processes because the more the the advanced ones are not really proven to be really selective whenever it comes to a medium where you have several competing components uh, all together trying to get through that membrane or trying to absorb on whatever adsorbent you have I don't think the technology is not advanced because of that. Am I talking? I think I get it. So you're sort of saying already in industry, we don't use particularly selective technology. You're researching more selective things, but it's sort of not the barrier to it being implemented. The barrier is other issues. Just because I know CO2 from from chemistry point of view that it is an inert molecule, it means when the CO2 forms and when the carbon and oxygen bind together, they are at their lowest energy state. So they're just happy there. They don't want to react with anything else unless you give them a lot of energy mm-hmm. or you use really um, advanced catalysts uh, to do the reaction. And therefore, the use of CO2 feedstock is not very economic. Maybe that's why the CO2 is not, or the CO2 technology, capturing technology is not quite advanced yet. I think that was something that was one of your um, considerations, Laura, wasn't it? Was once you've captured the CO2, what can you even use it for, wasn't it? And it's sort of... Exactly. But if we capture it, what we're going to do with it? Uh, Yeah. So when I was researching this, the idea was that it would be disposed of somehow. There was separate research looking at how it would be disposed of. Like There was a vague idea to just dissolve it into the sea, which is obviously, from what we've seen with climate change, really not a good idea because it acidifies the sea. Yeah. But you're absolutely right. There isn't really any, there's no use for the CO2 on a big scale. So I guess no one's really motivated to find a technology that will do something because there are too many other barriers to implementation. Like, what do you do with the CO2 afterwards? Yeah. If, if it can't be used to make something useful, then we're just capturing more waste. I think that is sort of the economic challenge is as a company, you wouldn't spend money separating out products that you don't need unless it harmed the product in the end. So, you know, up till now, we never thought that burning fossil fuels was necessarily bad. Main product was energy and heat or electricity. And then a byproduct was water vapor and and CO2. And we thought, yeah, that's okay. Now we're realizing that we actually do need to separate it. And you know, if there's no income coming from it, it, it can be quite hard to sustain. So yeah, I think that is probably why we never thought to uh, to separate it. 
Ginwa, you were talking about selectivity before, and CO2 is in the atmosphere in very small concentrations in comparison to nitrogen and oxygen. So if, if you are talking about developing that selective technology, you're talking about a relatively small concentration of a gas that's also competing with other gases to be removed. Yeah, I think most of the techniques that we work in the lab with, they work with very, very, very low uh, concentration, talking about PPM or PPB. So it's quite, I think we're on the same level. So it's quite challenging to capture these PPM level molecules and leaving everything else just passing through the membrane or just not absorbed. Yeah, that was my impression. Uh, Antonia, you were looking at some other technologies, like sort of a liquid gas separation, I guess. So you, what would you bubble the gas through some liquid? Does that sound right? Or am I just making stuff up? Yeah, you have a, an absorption of, of the CO2 into um, into a liquid amine of some sort. Given what I was talked about is, is selectivity. If it's too selective and it doesn't let go of the molecule, you can't reuse the amines. You create another problem, isn't it? But because you want it to be a re reversible and kind of a way to liberate the, the contaminant from whatever adsorbent you had. One of the sort of challenges is the amines recycling. <laughs> God, I can't remember what, I can't remember the word. Well, recovery, I guess. No, no. We can skip it. We can skip it because my brain's gone fried now. So, <laughs> but I guess it's worth pointing out that there are other industries that also produce CO2. And so I've done a little bit of work with cement and concrete production. And I know that it gets produced from that as well. Mm. We mentioned that in the episode that we did on um, how can you make me care about concrete quite a while ago now. And it's also produced in steel production as well. And it sounds like that's one industry where it's going to be quite difficult to decarbonize. So maybe that's where if carbon capture technology is developed to a commercial scale, that's where it would be used. Burning natural gas in the energy industry is quite interesting. Methane, instead of it being a fossil fuel, we could we could get it from anaerobic digestion. It just remind me of the uh, buses in Bristol. They are using methane rather than diesel or whatever. So where do they get the methane from? Is it from anaerobic digestion? I haven't asked the driver yet, but I will whenever I'm in Bristol. But what are they turning it into? Aren't they burning it to produce co2 <laughs> i have no i'm coming back to burning stuff again yeah why would we use methane instead of petrol or diesel the methane is a greenhouse gas but it's not it doesn't hold the heat in as much or contribute as much to global warming as much as co2 does right oh it does though on a shorter time scale it's more potent but it decomposes faster than co2 uh, the biomethane gas that fuels the buses is it comes from waste food and is supplied from anaerobic digesters biomethane gas offers more than 85 percent reduction in greenhouse gases compared to older diesel buses and helps to improve air quality Here's um here's a really interesting one. In the beer industry, you'd sort of produce CO2 from the fertilization, not fertilization, fermentation, fermentation process. Lord oh lord. See which talk of fertilizer and plants. It is, it is, it's very confusing. We definitely do not fert well, we do fertilize, but we're fermenting the crops to make beer. But in that process, the fermentation process, you get carbon dioxide. And later on in the process, after they've filled a tank and they need to empty the tank, they would actually use a bit of that carbon dioxide to push the beer back out because it's got the right kind of gases in there. So rather than using oxygen containing air, they would use CO2. 
It's kind of funny to think that if a company didn't capture the uh, carbon dioxide from the fermentation process, then they're sort of buying canisters of CO2 to do that. And it's if there was a way to capture it, they could just reuse that. But it's it's difficult on a on such a small scale to be able to create basically an entire other chemical plant attached to your existing plant to capture all that just for this very specific small use. I see you so you're saying that the beer industry buys in CO2 even though they produce it. Yes. Oh, that is weird. So we've made some homebrew um at home in like this, this specially made bucket thing. And you're right, it, it gives off this gas and it makes some irritating noise and it does it. <laughs> is it frustrates me so much because it's not regularly, you can't predict when it's gonna happen, but it happens with enough frequency to distract you from what you're doing. Hmm. Bizarre occasional burping, semi-random annoyance. I suppose the disturbance is worth it in the end when you when you've got your homebrew beer. It, it can be. You never quite know what you're getting. <laughs> I mean, I, I assume to some extent it depends on the quality of your tap water. <laughs> it's back to another podcast episode, I guess. It is another podcast episode. How is your tap water doing recently? <laughs> it's It seems fine. Um, I've not noticed any changes in flavour. We're still using bowl water. There's still a big plan to bring water from elsewhere in the Lake District so we can stop drinking partially borehole-ated water. That is not a word. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we're going so far off topic. <laughs> but it was great to hear about how how's your little um bubbling burping. Is is it does it smell like fart? Like <laughs> <laughs> it, it smells like a brewery, pretty much. Oh, okay, that's nice then. That's that's a nice smell. In a way. I just remember that sweet. I don't know if you used to have it when you were uh kids. That sweet that when you put it in your mouth, it starts bubbling and tickling because it has CO2 actually inside. Oh, is that what popping candy has in it? Yeah. Ah. <laughs> so, yeah, I guess to try and sum up this very rambling conversation. So we talked about how um, CO2 is used or produced in the electricity industry. We touched a little bit on steel and cement making. and We talked quite a lot about the food industry and how it's used to preserve various products. And of course, we talked about the fertilizer industry and how that produces CO2. And we talked a little bit about how it could be captured from other from industries rather than going into the atmosphere. But either the technology or the willingness isn't quite there to do it yet perhaps because it's so difficult to use co2 it is pretty much just a waste if it goes into the atmosphere but i guess there's more work there to do to make that into a circular economy and reduce our carbon footprint in the world so i think we'll leave it there and if you want to ask us any questions or ask us what the hell have we just talked about you can find us on twitter or you can leave a comment on this episode the views expressed in this podcast belong entirely to the person that said them. They do not represent any industry or organisation. If you enjoyed listening to these views, it would really help us out if you could rate us, leave a review and tell a friend. This podcast was sponsored by no one, but if you're interested in funding us to continue to have frank discussions about science and engineering, please get in touch.